Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from lead pastor Jamie Miller. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning here in person. Good morning on the internet. I know the whole internet's watching this morning. It's good to see you. Uh, and uh, it's, it's just a fun, I love preaching. I love preaching here at Antioch Fort Worth. My name is Graydon Jones. I'm the youth pastor here. And um, I, I've been here for uh, almost eight years now. And I just finished my fourth year as youth pastor. And um, it's just an exciting thing. I, I'm always really privileged to preach here. And uh, it's a crazy week right now, just for those in Texas. The Sahara Desert is here um, in our skies. I don't know if anyone heard that or not, but Saharan dust is what's making it all hazy. And so you can just check it off your list, everybody. You've been. You've been to the Sahara Desert. Hopefully it does not affect your allergies too bad. Um, but it's, it's kind of a crazy week, but what a good week to preach uh, when things are happening in the world. It's a good week to speak the word of the Lord. Um, I've got a beautiful wife, Christina Jones, who's not here right now because she's seven months pregnant. Uh, and we're going to have a little baby girl. I'm a girl dad. Uh, it's so fun. And, uh, and our little uh, two-and-a-half-year-old Natalie is hilarious. She makes me laugh every single day. And, uh, and I usually preach better when I pray. So let's just pray right now. Uh, Jesus, we love you. And Lord, we just say that we need you this morning. Lord, we look to you. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need, we need your leadership this morning, Holy Spirit. Would you lead us through this liminal space, God? Would you lead us into our identity as the church this morning? And everything, Lord, that I say, God, I'm just yielded to you this morning, Holy Spirit. I need you. I need you to speak. I love you so much. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, well, we're in this series called We Are the Church. It's an awesome series where we're proclaiming the identity of the church. The church is not a building, it's a people. And it's an identity. And we together, uh, church, we are the church. And, and Christian unity and oneness in the church is our witness. And lastly, we're proclaiming that the Holy Spirit leads us through this time. The Holy Spirit all throughout the book of Acts was leading the church through places of tension. And we believe that the Holy Spirit wants to lead us today. And so as I carry this series forward, uh, the Holy Spirit put Acts 10 on my heart. And so that's the story. If you want to open your Bibles, please follow along with me. Acts 10, a story about Peter and Cornelius the centurion, a, a story about the church breaking across uh, divisions, man-made divisions. And I believe that, that the Holy Spirit has a word for us in our current day. It's, it's an amazing story. I'm excited about it. And, and I just want to say, in light of the past few months, there's been so many things that have gone on. And, and I feel, uh, I, I wish I could preach a message that would just tie a lot of nice, pretty bows around societal and theological issues. And, and I'm, I can't do that. I can't do that this morning. But I can respond to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. And I can share what I believe the Holy Spirit wants me to share. And so that's what I'm going to try this morning. My prayer is that God would breathe on this message and that it would inspire prayerful reflection and a lot of patient conversations with one another. Um, I think we need more patient conversations in 2020. I don't know about y'all. Um, and one thing, one thing, one more thing before we read, I just want to acknowledge this morning that we are in a time of dissension. We're in a time that's marked by dissension. And the, the temptation will be for us to filter our sermons and our messages through that filter. And I just want to, I just want everyone to hear and, and on the internet, again, the whole internet, hear me right now, hear the love in my voice. 
I just want to say that I love you. We, we together are the church, okay? And even, even when I say things that may be challenging, I, I'm just trying to share what the Holy Spirit is, is enlightening me with. And so really, I'm going to let the scriptures just say it for me. I mean, really, like, I'm not going out on a limb this morning. I'm just, I'm preaching the scriptures. And, but I just want to say that, man, we are the church. There's only love and care in my heart this morning. And I want everyone to, to, to hear that. And I'm not going to be able to cover it all. I can't cover it all. Uh, there's no way. Um, but I'm committed to continuing the conversation, continuing the dialogue. The kingdom of God does not look like division or escape. It looks like loving relationships. And so we need more of that. In the youth ministry, we say it this way, uh, embrace the awkwardness. Embrace the awkwardness. Can we do that? Can we be awkward together? Relationships are awkward. Growth is awkward. It's all awkward. Can we be that awkward community that loves each other when we disagree and, and to let our oneness be our witness? I think we can do it. Uh, and so this morning, we come to Acts 10. It's a radical story. It's really an unbelievable story if it weren't for my faith and experience with a God who speaks. I mean, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, and, and there are riches within this ancient story. And I think that we're going we're gonna to mine for them this morning. And so here's my main point, and then we'll, we'll get to the text. The main point this morning is this. We, the church, proclaim and embody this truth. No person is common or un clean. Let me just say it again. We, the church, proclaim and embody this truth that no person is common or unclean. All right, let's get to the text. Verse 1, Acts 10, verse 1. And just so you know, I'm, gonna, I'm a little bit excited. I'm a little bit giddy when I preach. And so I'm going to interrupt myself a lot. Please excuse me for that. Uh, we're going to weave in and out of the text. So please keep it in front of you, whatever you need to do to, to stay along. So let's, let's read verse 1. At Caesarea... And let's pause here. Let's just stop. Let's interrupt already, okay? Because we, we got to get ourselves in the story. We got, we got to put ourselves in the story. You can tell from the name of this city that it's named after Caesar, Caesarea Caesar, right? And, and the thing that we should know about this town is that it's a very prosperous town, and it is saturated with empire, Okay, being in Caesarea is like breathing in empire culture, okay? Herod's palace was there. There was a prosperous seaport. Um, there were bathhouses. There was a theater. And there was even a Roman legion stationed there, okay? And so Caesarea is not exactly the place where Jewish Christians in the first century would feel at home. But it's the perfect place to set the stage for a story about the people of God crossing ethnic lines at the direction of the Holy Spirit. At Caesarea, let's keep reading. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Let's pause again. Cornelius, we have a, a character in our story now, okay? And, and what do we know about this character? Well, apparently, he's a Gentile, an Italian, probably. And, and don't let your admiration of modern-day Italy affect your exegesis. The, he's a Gentile, okay? The Jews were like, they, they didn't like Gentiles, okay? Let's just say it that way. They saw them as impure, okay, profane. They, they enforced radical segregation from the Gentiles in order to maintain their purity. The depth of their belief about the Gentiles is hard for us to fathom. Israel was called by law to separate, to, to be set apart as God's only chosen people until 
Jesus came to set the record straight about God's desire and character. We'll get to that very soon. But here's the thing is that Cornelius was not just a Gentile. That would be bad enough. He's a centurion. He's a leader in the Roman military, okay, in a time of oppression of other peoples, okay? This is, Cornelius is the bad kind of the bad guys, okay? We should see at verse 1 that Cornelius should probably be our antagonist. But let's go to verse 2. A devout man, this Cornelius, who feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. Let's interrupt again. Verse 2, we already realized that there's a lot more to this story than what we thought. There's a lot more to this person, Cornelius, than we thought. It turns out that Cornelius, the bad kind of the bad guys, actually devoutly fears the one true God. He doesn't know Jesus yet, but apparently he's chosen to worship the Jews' God without taking on the Jewish customs. So here's a translation. Um, There's more to him than meets the eye. Further translation, uh, labels that, that put entire people groups under one sweeping judgment, that's according to the flesh and not the spirit. Even further translation, if I can just keep going. By verse 2, we know that there is, a, there is a, a relevance in this story to our current society, okay? Because I know a lot of us are struggling. I know I'm struggling. I don't know about y'all. Maybe I'm the only one that's struggling to, 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 to walk into these sweeping judgments. All blank, are blank, right? And just fill in your preferred label and generalization. All blank, are blank, Right? All, all protesters, all law enforcement, all criminals, all African-Americans, all Republicans. And, and just to make us smile a little bit, maybe we can just throw in people who wear socks and sandals. <laughs> people who eat at Burger King and enjoy it. That's a personal one. Those barbarians who eat the, the top of the muffin and put it back, the bottom back in the pan. Some of y'all are out there. Some of y'all were quiet on that one. I'm just saying, mask wearers, non-mask wearers, right? We're so just, we're just constantly walking into judgments right now. But perhaps Cornelius teaches us, this Gentile centurion teaches us that there's more to the story in complex people. Perhaps we're called to walk in love and empathy no matter what, no exceptions. Let's keep reading verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Let's, let's pause here. Cornelius has this incredible visitation from an angel. I mean, it's unbelievable. And maybe we're thinking, wow, that's never happened to me or that would never happen to me. Um, when, when does an angel just interrupt me like that? Um, but I think something that we need to see here is that the ninth hour of the day was three o'clock and it was a traditional prayer time. Okay, so 
Cornelius gets this radical visitation, but he's already taken the initiative to show up in the presence of God. It's another lesson already that we've learned from a Gentile centurion that, that, you know, God can totally interrupt you in your busy day, but Cornelius interrupted himself and went into the place of prayer. He made himself available to God, and that's where the revelation came. And so God initiates this wild story with a wild vision. And now we learn what Peter's up to. We finally know where Peter is. He's in Joppa. Uh, he's got a beachfront, Airbnb in Joppa. I mean, this, this is awesome. And if we read the context, he's there because God used him to raise a woman from the dead. That's kind of a big deal. I don't know if y'all have read the, the Bible a lot, but there's not a whole lot of resurrections. There's one of them in, in Acts 9. And so God's using him to lead a very successful revival. They asked him to stay. Keep going, Peter. A successful revival within a Jewish-only community. But the Holy Spirit has other plans. He, he's planning to stretch Peter, plans for him to leave the success story for something very, very risky. Let's keep reading in verse 9. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop, about the sixth hour to pray. You see the commonality here that when they show up to pray, it's like God actually speaks. It's awesome. He became hungry. There's the reality. You know, you also get hungry when you pray. He wanted something to eat, but while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance. He's got a food coma going on, but God shows up. He saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times. And the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Okay, let's pause. Another wild vision. Visions are just exploding at this point in this story. And God is telling Peter to do something quite radical. He's asking him to contradict the law. Almost as if the purpose of the law had been fulfilled and completed in the person of Jesus Christ. But Peter is not having it. He, he won't do it. In fact, he probably has the prize for the apostle with the most rebukes of God. Just, no, Lord, no, I won't do it. Because Peter knew the law. And he wasn't about to openly contradict it. But here's the thing. He probably also knew the Old Testament promises and prophecies that God actually desired all peoples, the entire earth. I mean, Peter watched Jesus do this throughout his entire ministry. Jesus was walking around making outsiders, insiders, and insiders, outsiders. This is what he did. I mean, tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans, other centurions besides Cornelius, blind Bartimaeus, the Syrophoenician woman, the woman caught in adultery. We could just go on and on. Jesus is making outsiders, insiders all along the way. But here's the thing. Maybe Peter believed this as a truth, but like a really distant one. One that had very little to do with his own life. Just in a personal illustration, I can confirm that I have lost weight. I've had this conversation with several people recently. They keep asking me if it's the camera angle. 
It's not the camera angle. I did start to diet. Um, you know, but I've always believed that the, the truth of that a diet and routine exercise would lead to weight loss. It's kind of a simple equation that I believed, but only recently did I allow that truth to affect my personal life and decisions. Um, maybe Peter believed in theory, yes, the Gentiles could be a part of God's family in their uncleanness, but he surely never believed that he himself would stoop so low that he would participate in the things that make them an other, an outsider. Yeah, that's, that's fine for them, but not for me, Lord. I would never. Peter needed a radical vision from God three times to see this truth. Where do we need to wake up? Where are we simply asleep to the truth that the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us in? What have we believed but as a distant truth for somebody else to live in? Where have we been closed off? What vision would you say, no, Lord, no, I would never do that. Before we keep reading, one more note, and I want to make a note on Joppa, this place that Peter is. Some of our Bible scholars, if we've got some Bible scholars in the room, may remember Joppa. It's mentioned several times throughout Scripture, um, but it just so happens to be the port city where Jonah ran away from his cross-ethnic mission because he could not find it within himself to share his identity with his Gentile enemy. He just couldn't do it. I don't even want them to be redeemed or saved. And so we have two prophetic men of God in Joppa given the opportunity to cross ethnic lines with good news that every human being is created in the image of God and loved by God one ran away. But let's see what Peter does. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation. He was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. Let's pause again. Peter still is struggling to get it. He's inwardly perplexed, but here's what I love is that he knew it was God speaking and so he kept pressing in. This is a word for the church because, man, if we're, if we're confused about the things that are going on, we have to keep pressing in. God is in it. We have to engage. Otherwise, we'll miss out on one of the most important opportunities that the church has in our lifetime. And on the other hand, um, if we do understand uh, the things that God is speaking to us, we cannot let our perspective cause us to judge someone else to being where we used to be. Right? If we, we didn't all always uh, know the truth, right? We didn't always pay attention to the Holy Spirit. Transformation is not immediate. Discipleship is a process. There is so much grace needed. And I'm the first to say, I, I need grace. And can I just say that it's, it won't be long before Peter is found to be a total hypocrite. 
when he withdrew fellowship from Gentiles in Antioch. If you read Galatians 2 and uh, Acts 10 alongside each other, it's a case study in hypocrisy. Um, And so, man, prejudice, people-pleasing, these are sticky things. But if even Peter struggled to stand firm, then we can be encouraged to keep repenting and keep moving forward, keep paying attention to what the Holy Spirit has to say. The kingdom of God is a place of infinite chances. His grace is big enough for you. Let's keep, let's keep reading. Verse 23. So Peter invited them in to be his guests. And we have to pause here because this is, this is wild. This is radical. He, he let Gentiles and a Roman soldier stay in his Airbnb. I hope he let his host know. I mean, this is crazy. Like, this is scandalous. Why would Peter do that? He's jeopardizing the momentum of his Jewish revival in Joppa. Does he not care? What if people found out? What if someone shared that out of context? Isn't Peter afraid of accusations? I think we need to realize that if we find our approval outside, anywhere outside of what God thinks and says about us, then we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on the opportunities that Jesus has for us. We have to find our approval simply in God. Let's keep reading. We got to keep going here. Verse 24, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. Whoa, but Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. Let's pause here. Again, I I see just a a, a parallel to today. I think a lot of us are looking for someone to worship. We're looking for that one person who just has that right, they just say it the right way, you know? They have that, that really good opinion that just like makes my point, you know? We're looking for that perfect comeback on social media. We're looking for that perfect book that just solves our deficiencies, right? There's so many voices that are being elevated and to a point, this is wonderful. My apartment is a mountain of books. You can ask my wife. I love reading people's perspectives, but we cannot let it become worship. Because if we bow down to one particular person or their perspective, then then we are missing that Jesus is our only and forever king, our only focus of worship. And and also we see here that awkwardness is really just a guarantee uh, with anything this revolutionary. Can you imagine how awkward Peter felt? Dude, stand up. This is weird. Again, what if someone saw this? They're just walking by like Peter is having people worship him now. He's, He's gone off the rails, man. You know, I think we're, you know, many Americans are waking up to a reality they didn't know about when we come to things like racial injustice and racism, and and there's going to be awkwardness. There's going to be awkwardness, but we cannot let the fear of awkwardness uh, keep us from showing up to the conversations. We may say the wrong thing. We may do the wrong thing, but if we allow our fear to keep us from showing up, then there's no chance of transformation for anybody. And on the other hand, we cannot allow our frustration to eliminate our grace for when people make mistakes. Where else but the people of God can we really believe in a grace that wonderful? Verse 27, let's keep going. And as he talked with him, 
He went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. And here is the point right here. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. And I asked then why you sent for me. Here it is. Here's the point. Peter now knows the vision, the point of the whole vision. This is like the the moment in the story where things become clear. God has shown me to call no person unclean or common. Common as in unholy, as in not set apart, as in not valuable. Unclean, as in something or someone to be disgusted by, to be fixed, to be rejected. This, 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 this is the word this morning. If you're wondering what God is trying to communicate, it's this, this revelation. This revelation absolutely changed the church, it unified the early church. And I believe that we need this revelation afresh because it's sinful human nature for us to consider people to be common and unclean. Humans are hardwired with a disgust factor. We get disgusted. Animals don't get disgusted. If you own a pet, you probably know that. I don't own a pet because of that fact, I think. But here's the thing. Humans have a disgust factor. And in our sin, we use it to judge other people as unclean, right? We allow that to drive out our capability to love people because we see them as inherently an other, as an us and a them. The kingdom of God is a place where there is no us and there is no them. It's just, it's just we. Perhaps we find it harmless. Maybe it's just your rival sports team, right? Or, or a person that's totally anonymous, someone you'll never meet, you'll never talk about in person. Um, but if we reflect, reflect carefully, maybe we'll discover that we've considered people common and unclean based on, on, on their religion, on their race, on their occupation, on their political beliefs, on their stance on COVID, and many, many more judgments. And I can admit with confidence that I am guilty. I have to do the hard work of repentance and renewal, renewing my mind often because Peter's revelation is absolutely radical. I mean, we need a fresh revelation of this. We need a fresh revelation of Imago Dei, the idea that all people are created in the image of God, regardless of the content of their life. The poor, the accused, the incarcerated, the lowest in society, whoever that may be. I worry that Imago Dei is just another one of those distant truths. It's just just out there somewhere. It's just impractical theology. We need a revelation again because our king is the king who would rather die for his enemies than kill his enemies. He refuses to dehumanize his enemies, the ones that kill him. Instead, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Oh my goodness, what a compassionate prayer. How many times have we prayed that prayer in the last three months? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you want me to be vulnerable until this week, the number was zero for me. (laughs) I don't have it figured out. But Lord, we need a revelation. As As long as we continue to consider anyone to be common or unclean, we damage our ability to embody Jesus Christ. And that's the goal. We want to we be shaped into his image. 
Cornelius goes on to recount his vision for Peter. So let's skip that. We've already read it and go to verse 34 and finish this out. So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone, that, that's crazy. Can we just say that? No partiality? Are you kidding me? I can't even imagine a world where I'm never partial. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Every nation, anyone who fears him and does what's right is acceptable for him, to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Can we just say that Jesus is the one who's appointed to judge? Jesus is the only one. He's the only one appointed to be the judge. We take that on like we feel like we're, we, we need a job to do. We need to do something. But here's your job is to, is to proclaim the value of all humanity because Jesus already did that. He was willing to die for every person. And so our, judge, our, our role is not to judge people, but to proclaim the truth. All people are valuable. Inherent worth in all humanity. To him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Oh my goodness, what a moment. It's incredible that Peter finally gets it. And now that he can, he can put down his judgments and man-made divisions, they're out of the way and the Holy Spirit can preach through him. And so he preaches the story of God, the person of Jesus who fulfills the story of God, who, who offers forgiveness of sins that frees, a, frees us from our enslavement. And you'll notice that he doesn't even say anything about going to heaven when you die. Uh, that's just not the way the early church talked about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. This is a story of Jesus the King who fulfills everything, all of history in this moment. And it's this message that allows the Holy Spirit to take them from tension and into transformation because the Holy Spirit comes in power even on the Gentiles. And a couple of things to see here. I mean, we've been anticipating it, but, but the Holy Spirit comes and, and it bears repeating that that. The Holy Spirit came and filled those who the Christians thought were unworthy and unlikely. Like, we can't even understand how crazy this is. Who have we written off? Who's like, just imagine the last person you think God would work through. That's who the Holy Spirit is coming and filling in this moment. The last person that they expected, the bad kind of the bad guys, is now filled with the Holy Spirit. 
proclaiming the gospel, reaching all of his family and neighbors. This is unbelievable. And we see too that Cornelius, he honored God. He, he gave generously. He did all these things, but he wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit till this moment. There's a lot of good intentions in our world right now. And that's awesome. But the people of God, we can strive for a little bit more. We can strive for the very presence of God, the Holy Spirit to fill us and speak for us. We can strive for more. We can allow him to lead us through this liminal space and into radical transformation. The Holy Spirit is longing to lead us. Oh, he wants to lead us if we'll surrender and yield our lives to him. Okay, I'm gonna land this plane. I can keep going. There's so much to process in the story and I wanna encourage everybody, keep processing, keep pressing in with the people around you, your spouse, a friend, your kids. And, and, and I wanna continue to process this. If you're like, man, I want more, please reach out. I wanna keep talking about this because this is good news for all people. This is good news. This is a revelation that could end injustice. This is a truth that, uh, that is our witness to a hurting world. And as I close this morning, I, I really do just want to commission you to be the church, to be the church empowered by owning and living this message like a signpost for Jesus. To close here, I want to share a quick illustration story. Um, when I was in middle school, uh, my dad and I got to go to Ireland. Uh, it was a super fun, phenomenal trip. Um, but we had a pretty rocky start because we landed in Dublin and we got our rental car and we started to, to try and find Trinity College to see the Book of Kells. It's a 1,200-year-old Bible that was illustrated by Irish monks. It's crazy. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Um, the problem was that we got super lost. Um, we had absolutely no idea where we were. And, and here's the reason. This was kind of pre like GPS being everywhere all the time. Um, and, and so we were just working on the assumption that a, a simple map would do. Um, and here's the thing is that Dublin's street signs are impossible to find. You can't see them. They're nowhere to be found. Um, th there's these ancient buildings and there's no street signs anywhere. Um, and so the traffic's moving fast and you can't, even, you can't even use your map because you don't know what streets you're on. It doesn't even matter. The map is useless because there are no signposts, okay? Here's the point. If someone is lost in a foreign territory, the fault does not rest on them. It rests on the obscurity of the signposts. And I think if we, the church, are to proclaim and embody this truth that no person is common or unclean. We have to let the Holy Spirit make us signposts of love that are easy to see, that are easy to interpret. That person is so loving. It's evident in everything that they do and say. We must be signposts for, for Jesus. Let me pray to end here. Jesus, we are so yielded to you, God. We're surrendered to you. You are the king this morning, Jesus. And Lord, we're so thankful for your scriptures, for this story that calls us and inspires us to break down man-made divisions, Lord. We love you so much, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, this morning, we say that we are the church. We wanna be your church in power. We wanna be your witnesses. We wanna be your signposts for love, Lord. Renew our minds today, Lord, to see no person as common or unclean. Lord, we need you. We need you. And God, we believe that you are going to move in power among us as we surrender to you again. We love you so much, Jesus. 
It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to bless you to be signposts for love. I want to bless you to see no person through the lens of judgment, but through the lens of love. Y'all have a great week.